Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this week I'm joined by Hendrix master distiller, Leslie Gracie. Leslie is the brains behind Hendrix, a recipe she created when tasked with making an unusual gin by owner and great-grandson of William Grant, Charles Gordon. Thought to be the gin that changed the market thanks to its unique flavour and helped kickstart the current gin boom that we're still in. Leslie has a remarkable career that started in chemistry and I'm really excited to find out more. Today I'm joined by Hendrix Master Distiller Leslie Gracie who is speaking to me over Zoom um, as is the norm these days. Hi Leslie, how are you? Hi, very well thank you. Are you keeping safe and well? Yeah, good, yeah. Just, uh, it's all just a bit boring, isn't it? It's getting that way, yes. <laughs> so obviously you are well known for creating Hendrix, which I can't believe is over 20 years old now. It's been around for quite a long time. But if we could just go right back to the start, I know you started your career in chemistry and kind of pharmaceuticals, but was that a career that you kind of always wanted to get into or, or did you always have an interest in maybe the more natural world, that kind of thing? How, how did you kind of start off? I just really enjoyed sciences. It just seemed much more fun to me than the sort of history and, and that kind of thing. I just really enjoyed the, well, the practical work, really, from all of the sciences. And, you know, that's how I sort of drifted into the, the science side of things. And then I really enjoyed chemistry. And, and physics and I got a job at a local company pharmaceutical company and did chemistry and I was in the analytical section within the research and development function of a pharmaceutical company and you know it just kind of grew from there and just really really interesting you know that so many of the old drugs were taken from plants and you know, it was understanding sort of the background be- behind all of these things as well. And a lot of the new drugs as well, you know, got poppies and things like that. So a really interesting sort of, for me anyway, but then I'm a bit of a geek as you'll find out. Um, so no, I just really enjoyed that side of things and worked away in the pharmaceutical company. And some of the drugs that we were developing were really awful on the taste. So you had to do some like flavour masking, flavour development work, so you could get people to actually take the medicines when they needed to. I mean, some of them, you just never have got people to take them. And then 
in back in oh, 1988, I think it was, yes. Um, I moved up to Scotland to marry the, the current husband. I always call him the current one just to keep him on his toes, you know. Don't, <laughs> want, don't want him getting complacent or anything. And got a job at William Grant's, again in the sort of analytical section. But because I'd done some flavour development work before, Grants were obviously doing new liquids and you know, new products that I kind of went into that kind of field within the within William Grants and you know that just took off from there so really enjoyable. Yeah it sounds really interesting and um, was there anything from like your family or childhood that sort of inspired you to get into that you know career or was it just something you knew you were really into? I was, I was always really interested in plants and flowers because both my mum and dad were really interested. You know, we could never go anywhere without my mum used to come back with a handbag full of cuttings that she'd taken in some gardens and things. So there was always that real interest in, in the garden and used to help me dad and things. So I was always really interested in flowers and, and the, sort of the gin well just crosses over both the science and the, the flowers and plants and everything. So fantastic for me, totally ideal. And you were asked by um, Charles Gordon, who's the great-grandson of William Grant of William Grant and Sons, yeah. to create an unusual gin back in the sort of late 90s, which yeah. at the time was, it's hard to believe now, but gin wasn't really, you know, it was popular, but not this, in the yeah. same way. Like it was a sort of very different time. Were you quite surprised that that was something they asked you to do or could you sort of see the thinking behind it? No, we're totally surprised. You know, gin had been really popular in the seventies and eighties, but it was it was on the decline. You know, people weren't drinking it as much. There was, you know, a few bottles on the back bar, but there was no real sort of interest in it. So when he said in nineteen ninety one it was a new gin, it was like, right, okay then, if if that's what you want, fine. But um, yeah, it was a big surprise, but. Charlie Gordon was an amazing guy. I mean, he, he'd been in the spirits business from being tiny himself. So um, he had an amazing sort of foresight and, you know, he could see the new gin sort of craze coming along, I think. And he wanted to be at the beginning of it and asked, could we produce a new gin? But nothing like there was available at the time. He wanted something that had lots of depth and character. And, you know, just much more meat on its bones, whereas the, the gins that were on the bar were, were really quite light and elegant. He wanted something with definitely, you know, sort of more complexity to it. So got lots and lots of different botanicals, did individual distillations in the lab and then started to put them all together. And until we got to the flavour profile that he was looking for and... Again, back in 1966, he bought two stills at an auction in London, a small pot still and a Carter head type still. And he wanted both of these types of still used in the production of this new gin because he knew the difference that you would get from the two types of distillation and he knew it would you know, sort of all add to the overall impact of the gin. So that's what he wanted and... Basically, that was what he got. So we worked for him a few months and eventually got to what he was looking for. And then, of course, he wanted the rose and cucumber added because sort of late 90s, 
Chin was still had really sort of very British sort of English connotations to it. What is more British than rose gardens and cucumber sandwiches? So he wanted those two elements adding into the gin. So that's what he wanted and, and that was what he got. So, um, but yeah, it was a total surprise, but he, he was a great man um, and he was right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> You've mentioned the stills. Mm-hmm. They're quite old, aren't they? So was yes. it, did, did they kind of influence, you know, it's got this kind of apothecary Victoriana style look about it, Hendrix. Was, was that an influence from the stills or was that just something that came up as it was getting developed as a brand? That sort of came to the development of the brand. Yeah, the two stills that are the original two stills, one of them dates back to 1860, a small little pot still, much like you'd see in the whiskey industry, just but a small, really tiny one. And the Carter head is quite a rare type of still. Um, it's got a long neck on it. And so they, they operate in totally different ways. And she's really unusual. She was built back in 1948. Um, but you know, it's the combination of these two coming together. And then when the marketing team came and said, oh, we'll show you the bottle, and bent down and picked up the black bottle, we were horrified. It was like, what? Because <laughs> we were expecting, you know, in sort of 99, 2000, we'd have this still tall, clear, elegant bottle was behind the bar and they picked up this small black dumpy thing and we were what but you know they were absolutely right you walk into a bar anywhere and you know immediately if they've got Hendrix because you've got this little black number looking at you from you know behind the bar sort of thing so as much as we were horrified by it you know now we kind of think yeah they were right hate to say it but yeah they were right (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of the same with the cucumber garnish. Like back mm-hmm. in the, the day, it was all just like lime or lemon. And then yeah. you can always tell someone has Hendrix with their cucumber. What are your thoughts on gin garnishes? Do you think, or, you know, do they do they enhance the flavour or is it just a bit of a kind of gimmick? No, they certainly do. I mean, certainly for, for Hendrix, once you've got the cucumber and then you've got the fresh cucumber, then, you know, it opens it all out and you can get the cucumber in the gin and everything. Yeah, I think garnishes do help. There are times I, I feel where there's too much garnish, you know, when the bartender you know, cuts off a, a piece of orange peel and sort of flicks the oil all over the top of the drink and then puts the sort of peel on the side. And then all I can get from that to start off with is the orange. And I mean, some of the bartenders are absolutely amazing. Their skills are, you know, really, really good. And sometimes I think that the heavy use of garnishes kind of hides their skill. You know, if, if you get the same drink without all of the heavy garnishes on, some amazing drinks there. But when they, you know, if there's too much, it hides their skill for me. So I prefer just something quite subtle. But then that's that's only my opinion. Um, but yeah, I do think they do enhance the gin. So you're from Yorkshire and yep. you moved up to Scotland. What was that like? Was it quite a big difference from where you were living before or was it sort of, what was it like kind of moving up to be in, in it's Garvin you're based, isn't it? Yeah, for work. it is. Yeah, it was a big change. You know, from where I am in Yorkshire, it's a pretty flat area. And then to move up to the southwest of Scotland where it's sort of hills and rivers and, you know, it's totally different. I mean, each has obviously has its own um, charm, but 
uh, it was a big change. It was a, a big change that really, but it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel like where you are based that sort of sense of place, does that help sort of inspire your different creations or, or do you have any sort of limitations because of your geography of what you can and can't do with your um, like work? No, because you know, we're right next to the sea. We're right, you know, got lots of hills around us. So and there's lots of open areas for walking as well. So there's lots of opportunity to go foraging for different plants and different flowers. You know, we've got the coast, we've got the sort of arable type land, and we've got the hills as well. So we've got a balance of everything just just here that we can, you know, take and try and play with, basically. So, you know, there's there's always lots to have a look at, and before all this um, COVID situation, when we had visitors from different parts of the world, they would sometimes fetch local ingredients to them into the lab for me to play with as well. So it was getting bits and pieces from all over, so which is quite good. So um, he's got. Uh, Apologies for that. I did switch that off, but anyway. It's okay. Um, yeah, so I get things from all over the world, really. And, you know, when I go out on trips to different places, I always manage to get sort of into a botanic garden or go for walks and things and just find different things. So. And in 2013, you went on an expedition to the Venezuelan rainforest, which sounds amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, that was an interesting trip. Yes, we'd met a guy, um, sort of tip, just like Indiana Jones. He even had the mustache and everything. And we met him at an event in Philadelphia, and we're talking to him about different flavors and things like that. And um, said, you know, oh, we're always looking for different flavors, and he said, oh. You want different things, come to my back garden, which is basically what he calls Venezuela, because actually he's Venezuelan. So, and he's one of these explorer guys, and he goes into different areas within Venezuela and finds different animal species and plant species and things as well. So we eventually sort of tied up with him and managed to to get to Venezuela. And we landed in Caracas and on a smaller plane and then a smaller plane and then a smaller plane still and landed in this village that the people had only been non-nomadic for about three generations and it was right next to the river so we landed on this grass landing strip in this tiny plane and looked around us and it was like whoa you know because we've got this grass area and then you know quarter of an hour away you're in the middle of the jungle and then an hour, two hours away, you're at the base of their mountains as well. So it was an amazing, amazing place. But the people were just lovely. The the local, the the tribe that we this that we stayed with, um, you know, they had nothing materially in terms of when we look at what we've got. They had nothing. But if you wanted something, you know, a plant or a piece of fruit or whatever, they would give you it. Their sense of community spirit was absolutely amazing. You know, if one of the guys had managed to capture a wild boar, the whole village ate it, not just his family. And we've lost that now, but uh, they were amazing. And I always like to say, 
Um, I'm not the tallest person in the world. I can make it to about five foot two. But the tallest guy in the village there only came up to hear on me. So I was like, I was like a giant out there. It was great. <laughs> Just, doesn't happen very often. But the plants and the the different fruits and things were just amazing we kind of think we know it all and we've seen it all but we haven't I mean some of the things that you know they eat and you know make tea with or type of tea with and things like that just totally different never seen it before I mean one of the the guys ran up this tree and came down with a fruit and put it in my hand. And I, I looked at it and I thought, I have no idea what it is and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know whether I'm supposed to just eat it or do I need to peel it? Or You know, I'm looking at it thinking, I just feel so stupid. And he basically took it back off me, sort of raised his eyes and rolled his eyes and tutted and then peeled it for me and gave it me back. And it was like, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, that's, so that's <laughs> what I do with it. So it's just like, I mean, some of the plants and everything that were there were just amazing. And we were looking at lots of different things, you know, from the grassy areas and the base of the mountains and the, the rainforest as well. But there was, there was just so much that was different. And basically, all you can do is sort of take the leaves or the flowers, rub them in your hand and smell them to get an idea of what it's going to be like. And we did that with lots of different plants, but there was one in particular that when we took the flowers and the leaves and smelt it, we had sort of a green element and then a floral element and a spicy element, which are three of the flavor cues that we put into Hendrix. And so those three elements were there. And I managed to do a, an alcohol extract. And those three elements were still there, which is quite unusual. Usually they, they start to rebalance. And I had a baby still with me. So I was actually distilling in the jungle as well, which was uh, a whole different ball game. But <laughs> I did the distillate on this particular plant and those three elements were still there. So that was just an amazing fit for Hendrix. Because before we went, we hadn't a clue what we were going to find. But all we knew was if we put it into Hendrix, it had to still shine through as Hendrix but with different flavour elements in. And this particular plant just works so well for that. And they, the Indians call it the scorpion tail because the flower calyx curls over like a scorpion's tail. Nothing to do with scorpions or anything like that. Um, and so that was the plant that we decided would be the one that we would use in our Kanarakuni special batch, um, of which you have a little sample, so... Yes. I'm glad you've said it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an amazing trip, absolutely. Um, you know, it was just so different, the fact that, you know, these people have got nothing, but what you've got, what they, they had, they would give you if you wanted it. And just really good people. Um, and they were, you know, trying to to educate children as well and, and things, you know. But, I mean, the biggest education that they do for their kids, I mean, we teach ours to, to cross the road. They teach their kids which insects they can and can't go near. As they, they've got all sorts of different things there. The, the ants have got are really big, and they call them 24s because if you get stung by one of these ants, your temperature goes up for 24 hours and then you die, which is, is, is not a very good prospect. And, of course, when we were there, we had the, the film crew with us 
and we're walking through the rainforest and one of the film crew lifted up a leaf and there was a, a caterpillar that was, it looked like half a boiled egg, but it was hairy. And because he lifted this leaf up and looked at it and was pointing at it and the Indians were like, no, don't, no, no. So he just let the leaf go, but his hand must have been underneath. And some of the hairs from this caterpillar landed on his hand and he couldn't feel his hand for three days. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you know, no. And there was like big hairy caterpillars and, you know, if you grab them, you die and things. So, you know, we were it was a big learning curve for us as to what you could and, and couldn't go near kind of thing. So it was quite, quite entertaining, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Sounds amazing. Oh, Sounds as, and not many people get the chance to do that. So it's to, to do it for work as well. Is, yeah. is really cool. When things are normal, are you having plans to do something like that again? Like, do you, would you normally go on like research trips like that? Not that was a a one off, and um, we did well right from the beginning of Hendrix. We never did a big advertising campaign. Basically, when we first did it our people would take them into the top bars and, and the top hotels and sort of introduce it to them. And so there was people that had been with the brand right from the beginning that it's now 20, 20 years, unbelievably. So they're, they're more like friends as opposed to, you know, the owners of bars and hotels because we've known them for so long. And so when we did this particular batch of the, the Kanarakuni and finally did the distillation and everything and got the liquid home and put it into a, a batch of Hendrix and we had special events all over the world. So it was people that had been with the brand right from the beginning that were invited to these events. So there was only a very small amount of it made. People were given a miniature like the one you've got and at the events, we had a certain amount of the Kanarakuni liquid, which had to be drunk at the event so that nobody has got, you know, a big bottle of it sitting on the back bar or anything. So it really was for friends, as we call them, you know, from the, the bars and such like. So, but we had some amazing, amazing events. Because <laughs> when we were in the village, they, they still use blowpipes and things. and. So we were, sorry, we were having a go with these blowpipes um, and we were absolutely, well, I was absolutely rubbish. But at the events, we had some special short blowpipes and we were using like paintballs that you would use a, a, a laser sort of thing. And we were sort of firing these paintballs at our global brand ambassador at the time. And you knew if you'd hit him, because he was quite a distance away, and it was always the last event of the night. And if you'd hit him, you would hear him go, ow, ow, <laughs> ow. <laughs> so it was always good. It was really good. We had one Venezuelan guy on one event, and we would, like, put one paintball in our mouth and fire it. But he just took a, a mouthful, and it was like, <laughs> it was like a machine gun. And all you could hear was the brand, David, the brand master, going, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> hitting him with everyone it was brilliant but, yeah so, but I mean the villagers were just lovely totally amazed at the things we were doing and because I was doing the distillation and asking the boys to to go and get um some water from the river to keep me condenser cool and because in their um society it's the women and the girls that go to the river to get the water but I'd sent one of the guys and they were kind of looking at each other and looking at me and it was like, 
she just sent him for water and he went. Hmm. But, <laughs> so if we end up with suffragette movement in the southwest of Venezuela, I'm afraid it was my fault. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, an amazing trip though, amazing. So was this the start of doing like limited edition sort of Hendrix? Because you've you've had Midsummer and you've the most yeah. recent one is Lunar. Was this sort mm-hmm. of the start of that? Yeah, it was kind of yeah. And we decided, you know, when we were looking, we had Hendrix back in sort of like the early two thousands, and then, um, but we'd done other bits and pieces in between, and then. We came to do, you know, let's put something else out there. But rather than having, you know, sort of 10 liquids, the brand team decided they would just want to concentrate on one at a time. So we'd do the, the limited edition. So like the midsummer, it'll be removed and the lunar will take its place. And, you know, it's just interesting because I can look at different things and, you know, use all different sorts of botanicals to do the next element. And the the midsummer was was actually a liquid that I'd done for the then global brand ambassador was getting married, and I said to him I was doing six bottles of gin for his wedding. So I found out what his wife was having in her wedding bouquet, and you know they they'd met around midsummer, and they were getting married just around the midsummer solstice as well. So it was all built for his wedding. And then when we were looking for a potential new liquid, I pulled out all the stuff that I'd got in the cupboard out and people were trying it. And they tried this one and really liked it and decided that would be the next one that we would go with because of all the you know different flowers and all the story behind it. It was called a midsummer solstice. Um, I really struggled because to me it's still Duncan's wedding gin. So, you know, I thought, <laughs> no, it's midsummer. It's not. <laughs> so... So like the next one, the the Luna, um, again, story behind that one was I was sitting in my garden. I'm, I'm very lucky where I live in that the, my back garden just goes out onto fields and hills. So I've got no light pollution behind me. And not far from where we are, there's the Galloway Dark Sky Park as well. So um I was sitting in the garden, probably having a crafty G&T, as you do. And as the sun was going down, I was sitting next to one of the big flower beds. And as the sort of priority of your senses changes over, you know, from sight being the main thing that you're hearing and, and your sense of smell starts to pick up. And I noticed just how much I could smell coming from the flower bed, which when it's bright sun, you really don't pick it up because sight is everything. And that kind of set me thinking as to, well, Hmm, I wonder. And it was that kind of, you know, the flower aroma coming through, but also it was getting like the warm and spice character coming out of the flowers. And that kind of set me thinking. So that was the the kind of idea behind the lunar is that, you know, you get the sort of the deep flowers, but you also get that warm sort of sort of deep spice, but not really spicy that kind of aroma into the gin and with the new gin palace here as well we've got uh, two huge greenhouses and one of them is set to the tropical as it was in the in Venezuela in the rainforest and again you notice the difference if you go in there during the day and then if you go in at night it smells different 
and the, the smell at night is just um just as that rainforest was you know you get that deep floral but deep warm sort of spice type character in there and that smells just like venezuela we do another one sort of like so the lunar and then there'll be there's something else coming along after that as well and uh, in your greenhouses i think you mentioned these in a previous interview are you still growing scottish bananas yes they're still in there the year before last we didn't get any last year and i don't know why but the year before we got three full hands of bananas and they were amazing they really were i'm afraid we just ate them though we didn't get any to distillation <laughs> <laughs> they I'll were too good time. yeah maybe maybe next time yeah. <laughs> but we've got all sorts of things in there and um, probably the venezuelan thing but what's been the most surprising or interesting botanical you've ever worked with i think it, it would have to be the the scorpion tail just purely and simply from the fact that when we took samples of it and extracted it and distilled it you know the elements in there were absolutely amazing we got the same plant out of Edinburgh Botanic Garden and did the same. And it was nowhere near the same, but because the soil in Venezuela is so rich, you know, rich in minerals and everything, that the effect that the soil has on the plant is just unbelievable. You know, that same plant, but totally different in terms of flavour and, and and aroma. And so, you know, that that was quite exciting in terms just seeing the difference as well that what it makes we looked at all sorts of different things in Venezuela that I've never seen anywhere else either so that was a great trip from that point of view but whenever I go anywhere I'm always taken thankfully to botanic gardens and things like that so I get to see different plants that are growing and you know you really pick up how how different they are from the soil that they're growing in so it's it's really good it's good I enjoy going to different places so hopefully we can carry we can travel again soon because it's Hope been so. a weird year <laughs> so we're sitting here now 20 years on from Hendrix and I think I mean I, I don't think I'm wrong but I think that it was definitely one of the ones that if not the one that kick-started mm. the sort of interest in different flavours and gin and the sort yeah. of botanical journey what do you think of the explosion of craft gin in Scotland you know 20 years on from creating Hendrix Oh, I think it's amazing, you know, that that people are just exploring this amazing drink to think, you know, when we first started with it, it really wasn't doing anything. And, you know, Hendrix has always been credited with, you know, creating this genaissance. And as it started to to pick up, the cocktail culture kicked in as well. And I mean, gin is just a fantastic ingredient for cocktails because you've got all of the different flavour elements within the gin so you can make amazing cocktails so you know you've got no limit as to what you can produce with a gin because of all the different things that are in there so I like gin and I I just really enjoy seeing what other people are doing as well you know how they're sort of getting their flavors together and things it's I think it's an amazing amazing spirit you know others like other spirits but say like whiskey you're pretty tied as to what you can do in terms of your ingredients, you know, your big differences, your casks and your blending and things. But with gin, you've got such a variety of starting ingredients, as long as you've got your juniper in there. Then, you know, the world is your oyster completely as to, to what flavour 
you're going to end up with. And for that reason, I think it's fascinating. And I love to see the different things that people are, are coming out with and, you know, putting together and things. And I also kind of feel for that reason that, you know, people keep talking about, oh, it's going to crash, it's going to crash. But I think everyone's so invested in like mm -hmm. provenance now and the story behind things and the craft of things. that I think it probably, it might kind of peter out, but I don't think we're going to go to like a full blown, no one's drinking gin anymore. I think people have found their favourites and it's just going to keep continuing, I think. I think so as well. Yes. You know, because you can get whatever flavours you want and... I think you're right. I think it will just keep on going. Well, some, I think, will perhaps fall by the wayside, but I think there'll always be other things coming up to interest people. And, you know, certainly the bartenders, the, the work they do with cocktails is just amazing as well, you know, how they sort of build the cocktails around the base flavour of the gin. So, you know, there's just so much going on in that field as well that I think it'll just go on, I hope. <laughs> do you have a favourite favourite Hendrix cocktail at all? My favourite Hendrix cocktail is, I suppose, because I don't make cocktails. Okay, I don't. I never do the shaky shaky thing, right? I just rely on the the brand ambassadors. The, whenever they're here, if they're making cocktails, I'll do quality assurance on them for them. I don't mind. <laughs> the nearest I get to making a, a cocktail is if I take Hendrix elderflower cordial and soda water because the elderflower just sort of makes the original Hendrix just amazing you know it's bright and it's fresh and and that is my favorite for original Hendrix for the Orbium I kind of treat it as though it was a, it's a, a single malt whiskey basically I just drink it neat with ice in it because there's enough depth and complexity in there because you've got the wormwood and the quinine and everything that it's almost like a cocktail on its own. So I just sip that as though it was, you know, sort of a, a single malt. Um, the midsummer, I like it when people, when other people, you know, fix it up for me with the, you know, the sparkling wine and the tonic and everything. So, you know, it's just, I'll drink most of what people put in front of me, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit like me. Yeah. Yeah. So. And obviously you're known for creating Hendrix, but is there any other um, either spirit or drink that you wish you'd created? Oh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> one of my other favourite drinks, um, and I really don't know why, but is masala. I was working across in Sicily at one point and the guy that I was working with uh, produces masala. And I really like masala. Just sort of sipping straight. Sometimes I'll put maybe just put a little bit of tonic in it, but certainly not much. But as a, a single standalone drink, I really like masala. So, nice. yeah, I, yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if you were stranded on a desert island, mm -hmm. what three drinks would you take with you and why? Oh, Hendrix, of course. Other drinks, masala and... Lucas said, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Keep yourself going. Yes. And if you could invite three guests to a dinner party, um, whether they're dead or alive, who would they be? One would be Charlie Gordon, definitely. The other one would be Brian Cox, you know, the, the physicist guy. And the other one would be David Attenborough. Nice. That's yeah. good. Yeah. 
I've, I've I've brought some of my memorabilia. I love this glass. I got it in a, an event in Dubai and they were doing uh-huh. like a, a Hendrix thing when I lived there. And also over in my sideboard in my living room, I've got um, a Hendrix um, tea set, like teacups and uh, teapot, uh-huh. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and the, the cucumber holder thing as well. So it's it's just been, it's one of those things that's been amazing that not only is the actual product really good, but the whole whole brand around it is kind of, you know, the whole Victoriana thing. I just think yeah. it's really interesting that people you've really really bought into yeah. like the whole the whole mm-hmm. thing yeah I mean the brand team the all the brand ambassadors I mean every single one of them is amazing they work so hard and I always say that they're all completely mad but you know <laughs> but they they're really sort of buy into the whole Hendrix thing and they're an amazing group of people you know the UK and all of them around the world are just amazing and we have so much fun they work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like such a fun job, though, just travelling uh-huh. about and talking about gin. But I know there'll be more to it than that. Well, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I think there is a bit more to it than that. So they tell me. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, we've got the quick fire questions now, which is called my life and food. So if you could just tell me the first thing that comes into your head, if that's okay. Okay. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of prawns. Comfort food for me is? Probably peanuts. My favourite childhood dessert is? That would have to be spotted dick and custard. Food heaven for me is? Oh, lobster. And food hell? Chilli. So there'll be no no spicy Hendrix? (laughs) Not like the chilli, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been great to find out more and uh, I think it's... uh, great job you've got and I'm looking forward to trying the Lunar Hendrix thank you thanks so much to Leslie that was such an interesting chat I especially enjoyed finding out about how she distilled in the rainforest thanks also to you for listening to Scran if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review us and remember to subscribe Scran is a laudable podcast which is hosted and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Morvan McIntyre. Mm-hmm.